Jesse, they you're rubbish. And everybody don't talk to you. Because I'm Sienna. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Thalamore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 422 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And I'm joined this morning by the spider wrangler extraordinaire, the lovely, the talented, the fearless co-host, Brittany Page. So I should be I should be more embarrassed to talk about these things but my I agree my irrational fear doesn't allow me to be embarrassed because it tells me no Brittany this is a legitimate threat to your <laughs> life and you have every right to be terrified mm. and to scream about a spider um, which is what happened I was screaming and crying about a spider <laughs> Let's not. I, I no, don't no, want. No, no, relax. No, no, I'm not going to relax yeah, over here. I think you should relax. No, it is not. I don't want everyone to believe that we're we're that you're talking about this euphemistically. That you were screaming and crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a euphemism. Okay, I screamed Brittany and then I cried. Screamed and then cried okay. as though her life was in legitimate danger. Okay, listen. This is what happened. Um, God damn. I, I went into the bathroom, which it's always my least favorite um, place to encounter a spider because it's typically a vulnerable situation. You're either on the toilet or you're in the shower, bending over, whatever. And then, bam, there's do, a threat to your do, life. Do you do a lot of bending over in the bathroom? In the shower when you have to shave your legs <laughs> okay. or whatever. Okay. Okay. okay so... um. I'll I'll cease dismantling Mm -hmm. and questioning. Yeah, so I went to the bathroom, and then I was washing my hands, and I look in the mirror, and oh, on the wall behind me is a giant tarantula, okay? All right. It was was substantial. It was substantial. Let's not say tarantula. It was bigger than a quarter, 100% bigger than a quarter. Yes, I would say, well, I'll get to that point when... And, not, I, and we're not just talking daddy long legs. I'll, like, I'll bigger correct than a the record when Jesse enters. Okay, whatever. The situation. So the the body of it was probably not bigger than a quarter in and of itself, but the body combined with the legs. And the body was still substantial. Okay, it's not like a daddy long leg with a little pea body and then long legs. That's not what we're talking about here. It was a black, substantial spider. I, I would say it's bigger than a quarter, by okay. the way. That's what I was going to add. That I think it's more like 50 cent piece. Okay, so Pretty yeah, big. It was, it's a big it was big spider. and it was scary. Yeah. So I'm terrified. The, as as Brittany would say, the spider was absolutely substantial. <laughs> it was a, sust- a substantial arachnid. Yeah, it was substantial. So substantial arachnid. I <laughs> I <laughs> run out of the bathroom 
And I start trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Okay. Um, I can just act like it didn't happen. Like I didn't see it. But then where's it going to go? It's going to go live in my clothes. And then I'm going to be wearing it. I'm going to be walking around with it on me for the rest of my life. So I have to watch it. Because Brittany also believes that if you do harm to a spider, it will remember your face. If you don't kill it. And also communicate to the other spiders where the threat lies. You know, pigeons remember your face. Okay, there's other animals that remember your face and we'll give you some payback. Okay, so... Um, Hashtag science. So, <laughs> so um, I decided I'm going to watch it. So I start watching it, okay? Because I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm trying to work up the courage to kill it myself. And I can't go get you to kill it because you're still asleep. So I... Is the time relevant here? I think so. It's early in the morning. Yeah, like 5.30 or 6 in the morning. Okay, so I am watching it. Save your emails. I know that's not early for everybody. And it's on the ceiling (laughs) at this point. And I'm watching it for about 15 minutes. It's been 15 minutes. I'm watching it. And my biggest fear when I'm getting ready to kill a spider is that it will jump onto me and attack me preemptively before I kill like it. mid-assassination. Yes. Like it's going <laughs> right. to it's gonna attack because it knows what's coming. Right. And so I'm, I'm here watching the spider working up the courage to kill it. And it jumps across the room. And so I just run and start screaming because my worst fear, it jumped. It like knew that yeah. I've been watching it plotting its demise. And so, I don't know if it jumped or shot a spider web like Spider-Man across the room and like glided down its way. I don't know what happened. I wasn't around for it. But I started screaming and I ran. And that's when you enter the story. Enter Jesse D. Mm-hmm. Roused violently from what was very delicious sleep, mm-hmm, by the way. Mm-hmm. I come running, mm-hmm. think that it's, I'm going to, you know, mid-rape, something's <laughs> going on serious that needs my attention. Yeah. And you're crying, mm-hmm. and you spider, whatever you said. <laughs> so I am still literally seconds from having been asleep. Uh-huh. I'm searching the ground where you said it was. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought I jumped to the ground. Searching the ground mm-hmm. everywhere. It no, was not on the ground. No spider to be seen. It was on the wall. I look up, and it it, it did jump from one place to the other, mm-hmm. but it's on the wall above mm-hmm. the towel rack. Mm-hmm. And I grab a piece of toilet paper, crunch it, and then flush it down the toilet. I mean, it, seriously. It, and it needed to crunch. It, it, it was, listen, for, for someone afraid of spiders, it was a scary spider. Mm-hmm. But it just come on with the with the dramatics and the it just was too much, man. I understand that. I understand that. Um, and I know it's irrational because what's the worst that could happen? It's gonna bite me and then my whole leg will rot off, right? That's the worst that could happen. <laughs> um No, seriously. I know I know I need to um Calm it down. Calm it down. But but it's <laughs> It's alarming, and it was huge. If it wasn't that huge, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but it was really substantial. <laughs> substantial. So listen, I don't begrudge you the fear. I guess I just begrudge you the inconveniencing me yeah. with the fear. So, Because I- what happened when I killed it? Everything it it fucking fine. died, and I flushed yeah. it down the toilet. Um, and you I, could have done the same thing. Yeah, I know what it's like to watch people that have these irrational fears. Because I remember my mom when I was younger, and there was a, a mouse in the house, and it was running through the kitchen. And my mom, who was six feet tall, two hundred and twenty pounds, yeah. was a boxer, someone who was not 
afraid to physically confront people. Um, I watched her scream and jump up on the counter, <laughs> like screaming about yeah. this tiny little mouse and throw a phone book at it. And I was laughing my ass off because she couldn't go to battle against this mouse. So what? And the, a mouse actually, I mean, so can a spider, but a mouse really can, it can, it can, you know, it's a mammal with a brain that can actually strategize and get you. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm not afraid of mice either. Yeah, I'm I'm creeped out by mice, but I would say I'm more afraid of spiders. Anyway, so Brittany Page, tough laid Brittany Page. And don't listen, this is what's weird about it for me, is you're not some shrinking violet, wilting flower, whatever the fucking terminology. Mm-hmm. You're a badass. You're someone who is not afraid of confrontation. You are someone who stands your ground. You are someone who is not pushed around. Except, for except spiders. Ex- except by <laughs> fucking, you know, spiders. Yeah, I can't explain it. I don't. I had a bad experience when I was a kid. You were crying. Yeah, I had a bad experience when I was a kid with spiders, and I think that that might be what it is. And I know it's not rational. I keep saying that, but just because you know something's not rational doesn't mean the fear goes away. Yeah, like like you and Andy with the germophobia. Yeah, I mean, you Andy know, from Oklahoma. Yeah, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. If someone has ideas, then send them my way. And no, I'm not going to immerse myself. There's not going to be a flooding experience, a th- flooding therapeutic exercise. Didn't right? like Maury used to do shows like Maury Povich used to do shows like that? I don't like know. Like people who were deathly afraid of fucking puppies and shit like that. Like this <sighs> giant dude with like tattoos on his neck and he's afraid of, of, of puppies. Yeah, I should start pretending that I'm afraid of bulldog puppies and... <laughs> Somebody will want to fully immerse you yeah. into that. Here's a couple of them. Just take them. <laughs> so before we move on, I want to talk... I want to say thank you to Chase. Uh, we had got a birthday present in the mail. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was joint or me or what, but mm-hmm. we got a... You know, we, we, we he, he gave us the Donald Trump cutout. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the, the first one. The life-size, sloppy-suited Donald Trump cutout. That now has a I Doubt It With Dollamore yeah. podcast t-shirt. Yeah, that's right. He's now wearing a I Doubt It With Dollamore <laughs> oh. podcast t-shirt that you can get at dollamore.info. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, he was lonely. The, yeah. The Trump was lonely because, yeah. you know, we, we, we shit on him mm-hmm. and we call him names and we're, we're mean to and him. And he has to just stand there and take it. Well, now he has a friend. Now he has the the dapper, handsome, well-fitting suited mm-hmm. Barack Obama. Yes, cardboard cutout. Mm-hmm. Who will soon both be taking a photo with uh, the I doubt it with Dalmore T-shirt, but also I think I'm going to bring in my fuck Donald T-shirt. Oh, perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. And put it on him. So thanks, Chase. Thank oh, we you. also he he sent. Uh, a poster that I don't know what I'm going to do with. Uh, the paper's too thick for me to wipe my ass on it. Um, <laughs> a better than ever before, a Make America Great Again poster. Yeah. With a weird... It's a Donald Trump that looks like he got stung by a thousand bees <laughs> exactly in the neck. exactly what it looks like. Like a fat, swollen, bee-stung Donald Trump. Yeah. So I don't know what we're going to do with this because... We're probably going to uh, sell it on Craigslist to a Donald Trump supporter. Certainly not going to display this, but thanks, Chase. Mm-hmm. It was a good birthday. Yeah. We appreciate it very much. We appreciate it. So let's get to a a couple of emails uh, before we move on. This email is from an anonymous person. 
Jesse and Brittany, hope you are doing well. I was just listening to episode 420 and decided to write in. Jesse, you mentioned on the Antoine Rose segment that it's not a training issue, but a hiring issue. I'm going to have to disagree. Now, I'm not a cop, but after getting out of the Marines, I got my degree in CJ. Uh, criminal justice is what I would assume. I thought he meant Jeeps. <laughs> and the CJ Willie, you know, the Jeeps. Mm-hmm. And wanted nothing <laughs> more than to be one. I soon realized after interning slash ride alonging with them that I wanted absolutely nothing to do with that profession. Now, I know that not every officer is bad, and I'm not implying that, but I met enough to open my eyes on what their mentality truly is, and that's why I went the private security route instead. I now work security forces for the military, which is why I'm doing this anonymously. I work with the police quite a bit as they train us for my job. 24 hours ago, I sat in an all-day class on use of force. It really is a training issue. I don't want to get into specifics, but in a nutshell, if a case can be made that a police-involved shooting was justifiable and another officer would have reacted in the same manner, they are probably not going to be charged. Now, I say it's a training issue because that's exactly what they stressed in the class over and over and over again. Could they hire better people? Of course, I think any company slash department could always do better. But the blue wall is so strong, most of the time they will back each other no matter what. You turn your back on your own and you will have to watch your back the rest of the time you work with those people. I saw today that the officer who shot Antoine was arrested and charged. It's a step in the right direction, but let's not get excited yet. That trial is one police sympathizer away from causing major riots in Pittsburgh. Anyway, keep moving the conversation forward, and thank you both for doing what you do. Well, uh, Anonymous, I I agree with everything you said. I just... um... My only thing would be that, one, when I say this is a training issue, I'm pushing back against those, or I say that this is a hiring issue, I push back against the people who I was preemptively pushing back against the people who are going to say, we need better training, we need better training. And I think for anyone to assert, including you, that this guy, and I don't think that's what you're doing, but to say this guy was a good cop who was just well, uh, not well-trained, I think that's fucking bullshit. This guy was a fucking frayed. It's the same with uh, Officer Yanez, who killed Philando Castile in the presence of Diamond Phillips and his um, and her daughter. That guy was pissing in his fucking pants because he was in the presence of a black man who uh, admitted to having a, a legal concealed carry permit, a, a gun. So that man, you can't train fear like that out of someone. This person either had bias that couldn't be trained out or fear. So if we do a, a an initial good job of hiring, training will become much easier. I don't want to talk past one another because I don't think we are disagreeing. Um, I'm not saying that we don't need better training. We do need better training. But initially, we need better hiring. And this whole blue wall thing you're talking about makes me want to go on a rampage because that is bullshit. Even the statement that if you don't back up one of your brothers in blue, you'll be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your career or whatever is ridiculous because you're not there. You don't take an oath to protect one another. You take an oath to support and defend the Constitution and to protect and defend 
your 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 muni- municipality. Right. So anonymous said that they're going to have to disagree um, when you said that it's not a training issue but a hiring issue, and it's it just seems like it's both. I, yeah, I agree. It is. Both. Yeah. yeah. And um, but you're going to have to do far less intensive, crazy training. You the the training is going to be far less a focus if you get it right in the hiring process. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of um, organizations that move in that direction after they've been hiring people for a while and they realize, wow, character matters quite a bit. And how do you get at evaluating someone's character, especially in a police situation? I'm not totally sure. But there has to be some um, metric by which they measure um, someone's character and their propensity for lashing out at people, um, using their power in a way that is dangerous and could result in people being killed on the streets. Um, And as far as training goes, they need to emphasize that aspect of if there's a bad cop here, we need you to tell us. Yeah. And put some sort of system in place. Anonymous. Yeah. Where they're able to tell i mean it's it's a bummer that there is that culture of if they find out you're the rat or whatever you're not being loyal and then you have to worry about your job there should be some way for these cops because they're the ones that are working with these people they're the ones that see and even in these videos sometimes you'll see four or five cops in one situation and there's one guy that's causing a problem and what are those other four cops doing yeah why aren't they going back to their manager and saying uh, when we were out on that call, this dude was super out of line and he's a problem and yeah. this needs to be addressed now because he's going to get us all killed. Yeah. That needs to happen way more often. Or than he's going to get someone else killed who's not a cop. Yeah, exactly. Whatever it is. There's another organization or, a, you know, group of people who have fidelity to one another who have a problem with rats and snitches. They're fucking criminals. <laughs> people in prison have the same mentality as cops on the, you know, people on the inside have the same mentality as people on the outside mm-hmm. about watching your back and you can't snitch. If you're in an organization that is 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 pledged to serve and protect and you're not following through with fidelity on those two simple things, then what fucking good are you? What good are good cops if they're not being good cops? If they're not calling out, you don't get a pass on your bad behavior just because you have a badge. So again, it's it's one of those. It's one of those. So thank you, Anonymous, for the email. We appreciate it. That was from a couple days ago, um, but we, we thought we would share it today. So uh, thanks for that. We appreciate it. If you would like to sound off, Communicate with the show. Help move the conversation forward. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time.
If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. So we do not have any new announcements as far as Patreon is concerned, but we did do our giveaway for the two books. And we have an exciting announcement to make now for the winners. We have messaged both winners on Patreon. Um, Josh and James are the winners of the giveaway. And I do not know where they're located. Let's do this because we probably have several Joshes or several Jameses. It is... Uh, James O and Josh S. Yes. Because I don't want to drop everybody's full names. Yes. And I, I, that's why I said I don't know where they are yeah. because their address is not on Patreon. So that's part of why I messaged them to get their address. So check your Patreon. Listen, if you've turned off notifications for email from Patreon, um, that's a bummer. But go check Patreon, your Patreon account, because we send a message through there that usually gets filtered through to email. So. That is awesome. We will send those books when we get your address. In the meantime, we would love your support uh, on Patreon, buying stuff on Amazon, uh, or buying merch with uh, our dumb cartoon faces on it. That would be awesome. We love you guys. We appreciate you uh, helping us produce the show and move the conversation forward episode by episode. Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So the Supreme Court battle that is yet to ensue that I think will be a short battle because I don't think we're going to have the votes to push back on whoever the whack job wingnut idiot that Donald Trump inevitably is going to uh, nominate for the Supreme Court. Um, Susan Collins is kind of a pivotal person in this uh, process. What is going on with the alliteration here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is because she is a more moderate Republican or or seems to be, likes to put herself out there as that, more deliberative in her decision making. Well, and we can talk a little bit about her track record. So um, 538 gives her a Trump score of mm. 79.7%. So that's how often she is voting in line with Trump's position. 80%. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which is really good for a, a Republican. Um, some things that she's voted no on while Trump has supported um, banning abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy in January. She mm-hmm. voted no and Trump supported that. Um, on February 15th, the White House immigration proposal, she voted no. Obviously, Donald Trump supported that. Right. And on June 20th, rescinding previously approved but unspent spe- um, unspent funding, she voted no, and Trump supported that. So these are just kind of the most recent things that she's voted no on. Yeah, and the most damaging, though, the tax cuts, she voted yes. She she backed away from a promise that uh, of dismantling Obamacare, voted for that. We played audio on this show of a man who is in desperate need of his coverage through Obamacare in her office. And she 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 looked him in the face and said, no, I have assurances from leadership that this isn't going to go down that way. And she voted the wrong way. And then leadership, she lied to. She was gullible and she fell for it. So here she is with Jake Tapper talking about 
the fact that she is in a position to possibly stop a damaging, historically damaging um, nomination confirmation for the Supreme Court. And uh, I, I just, I want everybody to hold their horses a little bit about expecting, managing your expectations, I guess, about uh, Susan Collins and what she is capable of and uh, juxtapose that against what's more likely the outcome. I want to start on the White House meeting you had with President Trump on Thursday night about that Supreme Court vacancy. It's no secret that you could be a, if not the deciding vote on this nomination. What did President Trump tell you to try to get your vote? Well, the president really was soliciting my views on the type of nominee that I was looking for. I emphasized that I wanted a nominee who would respect precedent, a fundamental tenet of our judicial system. I also encouraged the president to broaden his list beyond uh, the list of 25 potential nominees that has been public for some time. Well, that, that list of 25 names, uh, let's talk about it for one second. Are, are you comfortable with everyone on that list? No, I am not. Now, some of the people on the list I have not vetted at all at this point. Um, one of them I voted against years ago. Um, and I would have to do a great deal more work on many of them. Now, President Trump says he is not going to ask the candidates whether they would vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. That's what he says today. But I want you to take a listen to what he told me about this issue uh, during the very first days of his candidacy on this show. Take a listen. I know you're opposed to abortion. How important is that issue to you now when President Trump picks Supreme Court justices? Would that be a litmus test? It is, it is. President Trump saying, then he was a candidate, now he's a president saying, abortion, is a litmus test for him. You say Roe is settled law. Given the president's comments, is it fair to expect that any nominee he selects will vote to overturn Roe versus Wade? Well, the president told me in our meeting that he would not ask that question. And that is what he has most recently said on the advice of his attorney. So I think what he said as a candidate may not have been informed by the legal advice that he now has, that it would be inappropriate for him to ask a nominee how he or she would rule on a specific issue. With all due respect, the Supreme Court, as we know, it overturns its own rulings all the time. It has overruled more than 200 of its own decisions once just last week. Um, And it is a stated goal of President Trump and Vice President Pence to appoint Supreme Court justices who will vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. I mean, whether they said it on the campaign trail or they say it now is almost immaterial. It's a stated goal. Take a listen to Vice President Pence. This is him campaigning for the job in 2016. We appoint strict constructionists to the Supreme Court of the United States, as Donald Trump intends to do, I believe. We will see Roe versus Wade consigned to the ash heap of history. The ash heap of history. A lot of women around the country are looking to you right now. Almost seven in ten women, according to a new poll, want Roe versus Wade to, to stay intact. What do you say to those women who say, what are you going to do here? How are you going to protect this right? 
Well, first of all, let me say that there is a big difference between overturning some precedents, uh, such as Plessy versus Ferguson, which was overturned in the school desegregation case of Brown versus the Board of Education, versus overturning a ruling that has been settled law for 46 years, 45 years, and it involves a constitutional right and has been reaffirmed by the court 26 years ago. Indeed, uh, Justice Roberts has made very clear that he considers Roe v. Wade to be settled law. I would not support a nominee who demonstrated hostility to Roe v. Wade because that would mean to me that their judicial philosophy did not include a respect for established decisions, established law. So I also listened to Susan Collins on The Daily. And just before we get into this, I want to say that she's a Republican senator from the state of Maine. That's right. Um, Just for people who need additional context here. And in her state, 67% of adults support legal abortion. Mm -hmm. So the majority. And even though she's a Republican, she actually calls herself pro-choice. And on the, well, we talked about her voting record and she voted against the 20-week abortion ban. So she's Mm -hmm. pro-choice. But on the Daily, um, the New York Times podcast, she was being interviewed and they were asking her these questions about who she would support and what it would take for someone to lose her support. And she would use these very vague, um, this very vague language. Troubling. Um, kind of giving herself an out where she would say if someone um, expressed hostility to Roe versus Wade, she would have a problem with that, right? She's not saying, I will not vote for someone that has expressed right. hostility. It's, I'll have a problem with that. Also, what exactly is displaying hostility? So if someone in their heart, they really, they're going, they're, their ob- objective is to, to vote down. Um, to rule against or to rule for a repeal of that decision. Um, if they don't say it to her, well, then they didn't express it. I, how am I? She's giving herself like this this plausible deniability. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, he didn't say he was going to do it. Right. Just like with Gorsuch, she, she says in this interview here that she prizes, they need to, to respect uh, precedents, r- the ru- rulings. That, that have come before mm-hmm. and Neil Gorsuch by many accounts by many estimations does not respect precedents but because he didn't say that to her in her interview she voted for the guy mm-hmm. it just seems kind of Pollyanna-ish a little naive and she's been there she was there when I worked for the Senate her and Olympia Snow were the senators from Maine then I don't I don't think it's naive I just think that this is politics 
Um, <laughs> no. So they keep saying it's settled law, which also concerns me because if it was settled law, we wouldn't be talking about how it's settled law. Um, yeah. No one. Yeah, no yeah. one. No one is talking about Brown versus the Board of Education. How that's settled law. How that's in danger. Um, obviously, this isn't settled law. You have Mike Pence, the current vice president, yeah. talking about how it's going to be thrown into the ash heap of history. Yeah. And <laughs> the guy who thinks that evolution is a quote unquote theory because he doesn't understand fucking science. Um, and- the, guy, the guy who believes that God created the earth and the universe in seven days but wants to get rid of abortion. Ugh. So there's other Republican senators to look at, like Cory Gardner, who is going to be up for re-election um, in a presidential election year yeah. in Colorado. And in his state, 64% of adults support legal abortion and 71% support gay marriage. So these Republicans, basically, that need to keep their seats are going to be the ones to look, or the ones that are not running for re-election. Those are the ones to watch. Because there's not enough Democrats. The people that don't have anything to lose and have something to gain. It's it's not based on principles here. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, it's also, you you need to worry about those Democrats, because we need every single Democrat to make this happen. Mm -hmm. To push back on a nominee. To be able to... Uh, force a Donald Trump switch. Like, okay, well, that's not going to work. We got to get somebody who's a little bit more reasonable. We need every single Democrat. And if one wavers, if it's a Heidi Heitkamp or a fucking Joe Manchin, West Virginia, then the whole thing's done. But remember, this was Donald Trump's goal. He talked about it on the campaign trail. He has been um, using this talking point to court evangelicals throughout the entire time he's been running for president. And so that was something that was annoying to me as well when I was listening to The Daily with um, Susan Collins, where she's just acting like that stuff wasn't said or that she hasn't heard it. You've heard it. You know that he's been saying that. You know that that's the goal. So can we all be on the same page? Because we know that we are. The guy who said that he he's... Well, you got to, yeah, there needs, yep, you can arrest him. You can punish women for getting an abortion, jail them, charge them criminally. He said that. There's no way around it. And if these women, and I'm putting it on the women, I mean, there's an extra special place of shittiness, label of shittiness for a woman who goes against a woman's right to reproductive health. I'm not giving it out to the dudes, but goddamn, you know, intimately as a woman, it's just it's disgusting. Well, and she also she also took issue with that on the daily. Um, Michael Barbaro saying that effectively um, that as a woman, does she feel a special obligation? And that she she said that her gender is irrelevant to her. Um, voting record that she yeah. doesn't make decisions based on that and that there's many women that are against um, abortion and that she is actually in the minority in her party um, supporting abortion or being pro-choice and um, that many women that she surrounds herself with are against it. So. Yeah. Anyway, again, let's regulate our our um, our expectations here. Because it is very likely that Donald Trump is going to get his first choice and that Susan Collins is going to do the fucking wrong thing. 
Also, vote. Register to vote. Yes. Contact your friends. Make sure that they are registered to vote. Help them register to vote. Make it easy for the people in your life that have never voted, are not interested in voting. Make it as easy as possible Do for the legwork. Do the legwork. Get them the link. Get them whatever they need. Treat them like they're fucking toddlers if, if they resist. Make them do it. Bring them the forms. Sit down with them. It is more important this year than ever before. Yes. So, ugh. It's a bummer. Anyway, the, the other the other bummer. I hate to bring all the bummer, Brittany, on this 422nd numbered episode of the show. But there's new reporting this morning that Donald Trump may hold a second round of summit with Kim Jong-un this time in New York City, in the United States of America. All right, joining us now from Washington, D.C. with a look at Axios AM, editor-in-chief for Axios, Nicholas Johnston. Nick, great to have you with us on this hot Good morning. and humid morning. What is Axios' one big thing for us? Yeah, our one big thing this morning is a scoop that Trump administration officials are thinking of New York City as the place for round two of the North Korea summit. Uh, this would be happening in September, possibly, on the <laughs> sidelines of the U.N. General Assembly. This is when a bunch of world leaders show up in New York for meetings at the U.N. Uh, the Trump administration officials that we're talking to are saying this could be used as a carrot, maybe an incentivization to keep North Korea moving forward. You know, there's been a little bit of a gap between some of the language about denuclearization and the actual actions. So offering this second round already might be a way to sort of buy some time to give the North Koreans more time to begin to act. Remember, Secretary of State Pompeo will be in North Korea, I think later this week, to try and push that process along. Yeah, if you thought traffic was bad during the UNG, I can only imagine how much worse it would be when Kim exactly. Jong-un uh, is in town. All right, uh, so Axis report comes, though, as questions mount over over worth, uh, whether North Korea is actually taking steps to denuclearize. How might that impact right. a yeah, potential that's, second summit? That's exactly the tension point here, that they're floating the idea of this second summit to try and get some movement on the issue of denuclearization. There were a lot of really rough headlines over the weekend reporting that North Korea might still be undergoing nuclear operations at secret sites, might still be working on missile development, and might be working on secret plans to continue, continue work on nuclear operations, even after they say they're stepping back on this. A lot of the experts we talked to about this issue are very bearish on this kind of progress. It's, I'm reminded of a line, remember what uh, Ronald Reagan said about the Soviets, trust but verify. About the North Koreans, it's don't trust and verify. And the verification process is the real sticking point here about whether to make sure that they're moving forward on what they promised to in that first summit. So is there a widening gap right now between the president's optimism in what he is saying with his tweets, with what he said after uh, the right. historic summit, and what the U.S. intelligence community is saying? Because it seems they're not now on the same page about this issue. Right. I, th I think that's a good way of reading it. Donald Trump over the weekend in an interview said he would still thought North Korea was making progress, but the evidence of that doesn't exist yet. Inspectors haven't been into the country to, whether, to figure out if this is actually happening. And then the reporting of, of Axios and others are showing that North Korea hasn't lived up to those promises yet and hasn't even followed up on the rhetoric from the first summit. So I think that's the big concern here, that whether floating an idea for a second summit now might show North Korea that the U.S. is serious about trying to get progress on that, but it's unclear if North Korea would actually respond. I was very concerned at first because the commentary in that clip seemed to focus on the traffic right. <laughs> in the beginning. And I was like, wait a minute, are they going to offer any substantial uh, commentary here? Some substantial commentary. Yeah. So um, well, there are a couple dudes in New York, you know, you got to you got to worry about the traffic. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> 
or the fact that Kim Jong-un will be here. Yeah, I think that's the more important issue. Something that concerns me is that he's going to be here like scouting the area. Like they did in Singapore. Like with his giant... Uh, his 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 entourage is that what you mean? Yeah, like, like the sightseeing. Yeah, and for, for nefarious purposes though, like scouting the sites because he wants to nuke them. Oh yeah, you you mean even from a more um, boots on the ground intelligence gathering perspective? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how realistic that is because I know nothing about this, but that's my first thought. Because the Wall Street Journal is reporting that North Korea is expanding efforts to produce missiles that could nuke the United States. And remember Donald Trump saying a couple weeks ago that there's no longer a nuclear threat. Yeah, it, it from was, North Korea. It was his version of George W. Bush's mission accomplished, guys. <laughs> and it's uh, it's not looking that way. Yeah. There is intelligence, satellite intelligence that has been published that and this is just what's available to the public because when you look at these images, they are pretty low res. Know this that our satellite imagery relative to our intelligence is goddamn high def top notch like b- being able to read license plates from space and shit what they have here what which is what we're available and what we're privy to um is not and still it's very telling that not only are they not dismantling their nuclear capabilities they are upgrading as we speak in the moments that follow Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un signing their historic document Tonight, uh, despite uh, the hopes created by President Trump's meeting with Kim Jong-un, there are now some troubling signs emerging that North Korea is making improvements to its nuclear facilities. CNN's Brian Todd has been checking with his sources. Tell, more about these recent, tell us more about these recent changes, Brian. Wolf, tonight we're told that one North Korean facility in particular, which has produced plutonium, a critical component in nuclear weapons, has undergone an upgrade. This despite all of Kim's promises at the summit and then President Trump's declaration that there's no longer a nuclear threat from North Korea. Tonight, new evidence that Kim Jong-un could still be tweaking, making improvements to his nuclear facilities, (laughs) despite his promise to President Trump to draw down his nuclear arsenal. New satellite images from the monitoring group 38 North suggest Kim's regime is making upgrades to its nuclear research facility at Yongbyon, upgrades which the group says are being done, quote, at a rapid pace. And how's the meeting going so far, sir? 38 North believes much of that work took place before President Trump's summit with Kim on June 12th. But it says some of the work probably occurred after the Singapore meeting, after Kim's promise to work to denuclearize. Now, if you were about to demolish your house, would you be upgrading the kitchen? I think that that definitely calls into question whether or not Kim Jong-un came to this table in good faith. 38 North says it believes Yongbyon is no longer producing plutonium crucial for nuclear weapons. But the latest photos show the Kim regime has made modifications to the cooling system for a reactor that has produced plutonium. It is an important reactor. And you can draw the conclusion, of course, that if they intended to operate it in the future and it operated more efficiently, then it could more efficiently produce plutonium. 38 North also says its photos show Kim's regime has built two new small buildings at Yongbyon, which it believes could be intended for VIPs. They could be outside inspectors intending to verify any new ing- new agreements, 
or they could be VIPs, whether it's visiting foreign press or North Korean leaders. Neither the White House nor U.S. intelligence officials are commenting on these new images tonight. 38 North's Joel Witt says some of these upgrades could be so routine that they may not mean that Kim's going back on his pledge to denuclearize. Other analysts believe they know which way the dictator will go when he's pressured for specific cuts to his arsenal. He has been very clear he wants to keep his nuclear weapons. He's declared that. Uh, It's in the North Korean constitution. Nothing in the Singapore summit changes that. Which leads tonight to a lingering question. Why did Kim come to the table in Singapore? I think that they're hoping to so normalize and so uh, sort of sanitize Kim Jong-un's image. I mean, we saw this selfies with the Singapore prime minister, walks along Marina Bay Sands in Singapore, uh, handshakes with the president. He wants to sanitize his image so that he can then be included among other nuclear powers, like, for example, China or Russia. Analysts say all of this now puts more pressure on President Trump, Mike Pompeo, and the rest of the Trump team tonight to exert their own pressure on Kim Jong-un to be more specific about the weapons that he's going to draw down and to get some of that in writing. Now, experts say Kim may very well balk at that. He may stall, he may deceive, but they say it's still important for Kim not to be seen as being the one who's dictating the terms of this agreement right now. Well, they've got a present. And I think it is more important what he is doing relative to the upgrades. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he's, if he's uh, specifically trying to be able to create plutonium or do whatever the fuck relative to uh, acquiring plutonium. If the, 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 the mark of the deal was complete and verifiable, unrelenting denuclearization, of the Korean Peninsula, then he should not be upgrading facilities at which nuclear um, power and weaponry is is uh, dealt with. Right. Point blank. That's it. Mm-hmm. Especially in the hours, days, and weeks following he meeting with Donald Trump and the, uh, an American president for the first time. It's just... What the fuck? It really puts in perspective the fecklessness of Donald Trump and his foreign policy. And we see that with even the ding-dongs that he puts around him. The John Boltons, for instance. Listen to this clip from this weekend. This is the National Security Advisor of the United States. Someone who has a hand, a very uh, weighted hand in how we deal with other countries, especially where it relates to security, especially where it relates to military posture. John Bolton talking about the annexation of Crimea and using Donald Trump's we'll see, saying, no, that is not the stated policy of the United States, and then pressed, he's all over the fucking board. On Air Force One this week, President Trump when he was speaking to reporters, seemed to leave the door open to recognizing Russia's annexation of Crimea, uh, saying, we'll have to see what happens when the issue comes up in the meeting. Is the U.S. endorsing the idea that international borders can be redrawn by force? Is this accurate? 
actually a topic? No, that's not the position of the United States, but I think uh, the president... Which is why it was newsworthy when he said it. Well, I don't know that that's what he said. I think, he's, I think the president often says, we'll see to show that he's willing to talk to uh, foreign leaders about a range of issues and, and hear their perspective. Uh, president Putin was pretty clear with me about it, and, and my response was, we're going to have to agree to disagree on Ukraine. But that's not up for negotiation. That's not the position of the United States. Right, but saying we'll see suggests might be. Well, we'll see. <laughs> well, that's shocking for our European I don't, I don't think it's shocking at all. As I've said, the position of the United States is clear on this. Right, but is that open to changing as the United States position if the president's saying the door is open? The, the president makes the policy. I don't, I don't make the policy. That's not a position, John Bolton. That's not a position, Donald Trump. We'll see is not a, 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 a cohesive, comprehensive foreign policy. That's not how you do things. We'll see. And you state what the, that is not the stated policy of the United States. You get pressed. Oh, we'll see. Well, what do you mean we'll see? Look, I don't make the policy. That's Donald Trump. I, I, that's, uh, blah, 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 blah. I love that she laughed. <laughs> yeah. Because they need to be laughed at a bit more. Um, and unfortunately he like also laughed because I, he's uncomfortable, but she should just laugh at him yeah. and he should just have to sit there and take it. Right. Not, not, uh, give him the opportunity to be laughed with. Yes. Yeah. He, no, 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 You no. laugh at him. Yeah. You're laughing at him. So look, just to prove this isn't a one-off, he made the rounds this weekend. Here's another different interview, him talking to Chris Wallace at Fox News, talking about the Russian meddling in the election, which... All intelligence agencies of the United States of America agree happened, is a thing. Russia did actively meddle in our elections. Listen to John Bolton, again, national security advisor to the president of the United States, disagreeing, maybe, kind of, we're really not sure what they feel. I think the president has already said that he's going to raise the question of Russian meddling again with uh, Vladimir Putin. He said it uh, this past week. Does, does uh, he believe it happened? And, and what, well, I'll tell you what President Putin said to me through the translator, of course, that uh, she said there was no meddling in the 2016 election by the mm. Russian state. So I think it still raises the question. I think the president will want to have a conversation about this and say we don't want to see meddling in the 2018 election. So That's are, the same are you suggesting that maybe making. do you have doubts that the Kremlin was involved? Look, I think the intelligence is what I said it was before. I haven't changed my mind on that. And I think it's something that uh, that uh, we're concerned about. That's why the president's going to speak with him about it again. All right. Uh, so, you know what? You know what the Russians told me? <laughs> The Russians told me that they didn't do it. Yeah. So I'll just leave that for you, Chris, and we'll see where it goes, okay? So let me give you the rundown of how that worked. <laughs> We're going to raise the issue with Vladimir Putin mm. of meddling in the 2016. We're going to raise the, the issue yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. But let me tell you, Putin told me, well, they didn't do it. Yeah. Well, if, if that's what you believe, then what is... There is no issue to raise. Right. Because, oh, well, Vlad said, nah, dog, we didn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't want to see any meddling in the 2020 elections. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely. So, so we're going to raise issue. Mm -hmm. But Putin said there is no issue. Mm. But we don't want to see an issue going forward. What the fuck? There is no cohesive foreign policy 
or defense posture or strategy from this administration, especially where it relates to Russia. Yeah. Because you can't piss off the guy you owe a billion dollars to. Yeah, I'm glad that the Russian intel is considered more valid Rock than solid. the United States yeah. intel. That's perfect. And l- let me let me say this. How would we expect... <laughs> Jesus. Goddamn. How would we expect any different than that when Stuttering John... That is his how he go what he goes by. Stuttering John, formerly of the Howard Stern Show, formerly of the Jay Leno Show. Mm-hmm. How would this goofy, douchey comedian get through to Air Force One impersonating Senator Menendez from New Jersey when he doesn't even sound like him? He's not even putting on a voice. It, it's it, it is. Listen to this audio. This is the call. That any one of you could have made. We could have done this from the show. There's no trickery. There's no skill involved. It's calling the White House switchboard. Saying you're someone. And I need to talk to the president. Oh, just a moment, sir. Patching him through. Just so happened that he was on board Air Force One in the air at the time. Yes, this is Senator Menendez. Is the president available? One moment, sir. I'll connect your call. All right. Thank you. Senator Benedict, are you still there, sir? Yes, sir. Okay. One moment, sir. He stepped away from his chair. I'm getting ready to ring his phone right now. Just one moment. All right. Thank you so much. Sir, your call is connected. Hi, Bob. Hey, how are you? How are you? Congratulations on everything. We're proud of you. Congratulations, great job. You went through a tough, tough situation, and I don't think a very fair situation, but congratulations. Thank you so much, and you know, I'm sorry to bother you, Mr. President, but obviously my constituents are giving me a lot of beans about this immigration thing. I know that you did something really noble by, you know, by trying to you know, get the kids back with their families, but I have to answer to them. What can I tell them that you're going to do you're moving forward. Bob, let me, let me just tell you, I want to be able to take care of the situation every bit as much as anybody else at the top level. I'd like to do the larger solution rather than the smaller solution. You know, we do them, they're doing them step by step. I think we could do the whole thing. You know, I have a good relationship with the party. You have a good relationship with the party. And I think we could do a real immigration bill. We have to have security at the at the border. We have to have it. I mean, look, you got 60% of the country, they've got to have security at the border. And that's a good issue for the Democrats too, Bob. It's not like it's good for you or good for me. It's good for both of us. People oh, no, I, are I tired of, you know, of the problems. No, I understand that. But, Go ahead, but, no, but I am, I am Hispanic, so I have to, you know, I have to, you know, I have to... It, I'm sure you understand. You know, so I have to, you know, I have to look good to my, you know, I have to look good to my people as well. You understand? I agree. I agree. So, Bob, here's what. Let me do this. I'm on Air Force One. Uh, I'm just coming back. We had an amazing rally in North Dakota, actually. Yeah, I saw the speech. You know, I saw the speech. It's going to be good. You know, it's a tough, it's a tough race. You say it again. No, I saw the speech, and I thought it was I thought it was a great speech. But um, if I could just ask 
tweeted this is uh john melendez that's right who goes by the moniker stuttering john on howard stern and he uh tweeted that the secret service came to his house um oh i'm sure and he's now being represented by michael avenatti stormy (laughs) daniels uh attorney oh wow yeah i don't know what kind of trouble he's going to get in but i'm sure that this uh is not a not the best thing to do. I'm sure they could drum up something, whether it be impersonating or, you know, I don't know. It is pretty amazing, though. And, and he said himself that he couldn't believe it took him an hour and a half to get through to Air Force One. <laughs> um, just wow. Just making a prank phone call. And then he is patched through to Air Force One to Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, look, I wanted to play the whole thing in, con- in 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 its entirety. It's a pretty long call. Yeah, for sure, and that's the reason because you only hear the little clips on the news, mm-hmm. the news. But it's uh, that's fucking bizarre, man. Donald Trump talked to him for quite a while. I got the impression toward the end, the last forty five seconds, he was starting or so, to get it, and he was like, I'm not so sure about this. But yeah. you would think that you the the White House apparatus, yeah. would be so intensive and understanding of shit that some random donkey dick would not be able to get through with with uh it's like me calling in hey uh mr president this is uh susan collins <laughs> how are you you know you know what i mean he didn't he didn't sound like john uh menendez yeah or uh, uh, Bob. uh yeah he didn't sound like him he didn't sound yeah it just it, it's just a dude voice and then you, you can hear his his stutter kind of kick in it just he sounds like stuttering john yeah yeah and donald trump's been on howard stern enough that i'm sure he's had interactions with i, I don't know it, it is just it, it is an indictment of the security situ- situation and the foreign policy just everything mm-hmm. it's fucking amateur hour at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue yeah. right now. <laughs> well, I'm sure this is really embarrassing for them. This is not something that they wanted to happen. Of course not. Um, but I'll- also, you know, one more thing is the because con- Senator Menendez just um, there was a mistrial in his corruption case. 
And so they've decided not to prosecute again. But Donald Trump saying, congrats, we're proud of you. And it was very unfair. It just He'll say anything to anyone when he's face to face. Because he's tweeted about Menendez and said negative shit. But when, when, when on the phone, oh, it's a whole different story. Ugh. No bueno. It's the worst. It's the asshole of today. Kentucky Governor Matt Bevin. Again. Mm-hmm. He has been it before. Oh. And Matt Bevin is again the asshole of today. Well, we've had so many that I can't so keep track. So many. Yeah. So he is canceling dental and vision benefits for thousands of people on Medicaid in the state following a judge blocking the state's Medicaid work requirements. You know, like a good Christian, because he is a rabid Christian guy. He's crazy, right-wing, evangelical Christian guy. Mm-hmm. That's what Christians do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's canceling coverage for almost 500,000 people. She's not a Christian! That are enrolled in the state's Medicaid expansion. And um, there are people who are saying that they don't think that he actually has the legal authority to cancel these benefits, and they're denouncing his decision to do that. Um, obviously, uh, I don't understand why, because he didn't get his way. He didn't get something that he wants. Yeah. That he then decides to punish children, um, who need access to dentists and ophthalmologists to get their eyes checked and their teeth cleaned. You know, it's, uh, the easiest target. It's poor kids. Why not attack? Poor kids, Brittany. Mm-hmm. Matt Bevan. And under his Medicaid proposal, the the work requirements, um, they would have had to earn dental and vision benefits through completing activities like taking classes or searching for a job. And while those things seem like good ideas, um, they actually are like unnecessary burdens on poor people. Um like what kind of classes are they going to be taking? Yeah. Do those people then need to find childcare and then they need to pay for that childcare because they're, t- they have to go take a class so that their kids teeth can get clean so they can yeah. retain the Medicaid benefits. And then they, they're supposed to just take any job, any job, even though it pays very little or it pays just enough to where they lose their benefits and then they can't have That's any right. insurance at all. So while Republicans have these uh, grand ideas about how to solve these problems, these are not actually workable solutions for poor people. Well, especially when the brunt of the effect is on fucking children. It's on the kids. Listen, you want to yank the benefit from the person. That's shitty enough, but you don't have to attack the child. Also, the reason for wanting to place these work requirements on people is this false notion that everyone is just freeloading and trying to get free Medicaid. Um, Most people that are in this situation would not like to be in this situation. So relax. It's not a choice. Relax. It's a series. Listen, like Brittany always says, life is hard. It's a series of bad shit that goes down <laughs> that makes people in the situation that they are. Not a choice. Like, ah, you know what I want to do today? Be desperately poor, unable to provide my child with adequate health care. Mm-hmm. Ah, that sounds like a fucking treat today. Mm-hmm. Matt Bevan, once again, asshole of 
today. Taking care of biz. High school students in Herringman, Utah. High school students in Utah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm assuming that they did something super great for the Mormon church. <laughs> no, not quite. Well, if it's not that, which it seems that that would be the natural the natural thing for kids in Utah. What 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 is it? Well, there was an 18-year-old Connor Spahar, and he spent more than a month looking into the reasons why a teacher stopped showing up for classes. Um, and administrators at this high school, Harriman High School, did not uh, announce what happened to this teacher. They were kind of trying to keep it quiet, apparently. Hmm. And so he did some interviewing of students and teachers, did some investigation of public records, and he found that the teacher was sending, quote, highly inappropriate messages to a female student. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. According to one source in the article. So he's like a little budding investigative journalist. Yes. But the morning after he um, put the article up, it was gone. Hmm. So the student tried to put the article up and it was gone. And he said at first he thought it was just a glitch. Um, but, quote, once we saw the entire website was down, we knew something was happening. So this student and then the 18-year-old former editor-in-chief created a new website, the Harriman Telegram, and they republished the article. Um, and in January, news outlets in Utah reported that the teacher was under police investigation on allegations that he had sent inappropriate text messages to a minor. Wow. So student journalism doing good work here. It's a weird thing that the school would try to hide the, the deets. Like, what's the what's the is it just to avoid the controversy and the scandal? Well, this is kind of a pattern, and I read about this in um, a New York Times article about student journalism, and there seems to be a pattern in several different areas, in several different school districts, of student journalists having to face off with educators at the school, Wow! um, and them trying to basically control the stories that they're trying to publish or control the content of those stories. When it's unnecessary, yeah. you you might think, oh, well, maybe the educator is trying to just edit their paper in a way that they don't like, and then they're getting upset. It seems more than that. It seems like, uh, especially in this case, that yeah. the school didn't want them to talk about what had happened with this teacher, didn't want it to be publicized. It, it, it's Student journalism, I think a lot of times is looked upon, I assume a lot of times it's looked upon as kind of a patting them on the head. Very good. You go ahead and report on the Coke machines in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. But as soon as there actually is a story and they start reporting like real journalists, then it's, oh, we got a fucking problem. These kids are overstepping their bounds. They're not talking about the amount of mustard on the sandwiches in the cafeteria now. Mm-hmm. Now they're they're talking about real things. And that's good, good for these kids, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and there's other stories about students like in San Juan Capistrano um, that wanted to have a special issue of their paper called Relationships and Sex and quote stories from students anonymously about their experiences in like emotionally abusive relationships. Oh, wow. And um, the school didn't want them to publish that, which 
is strange because this is what kids are experiencing. This is what teenagers are experiencing. Yeah, yeah. And it's what you said. It's not just they want to read about the Coke machine or something. Yeah. These are actually stories about their lives. These are things that impact them. A teacher being a pervert is something that impacts yes. them. Um, the relationships that they have with other people, sex. It's like, oh, no, we need to protect these almost 18-year-olds from the reality of their lives. Yeah. Keep it to the baked potato bar during lunch. That's, yeah. that's what we want you to be reporting I on. I love the baked potato were bar. Were there bacon bits or were there not bacon bits? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's awesome. Student journalists taking care of biz. That is great. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to leave you guys. We appreciate you. We love that you spend your time with us as often as you do. Just a reminder, this is a hashtag third episode week. Every other week we're going to be doing that. So... Uh, if you would like to support the show, help us in doing our every other week uh, hashtag third episode. You can go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or dollamore.com slash PayPal. Um, any other way to, to support the show, you can just go to dollamore.com on the left-hand side of the page. There's a few links there. Support the show, cryptocurrency, blah, 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 whatever. We love you guys. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, too. 657. How awkward was that, by the way? Was not awkward at all. That seemed uh, like a profesh job. Super profesh. Mm hmm. As Brittany would say. I would not say that. Six, five, Will you seven, stop making me look like a four, douche? Six, four, seventy six, zero, nine. Of course, you can always email your voice memes from your oh smart. Oh my God. From your smart. F- <laughs> fa. I doubt it at dollarmore.com. How dare we you? We love sir. you guys. We appreciate you. And we will see you next time for Brittany Page. I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. How dare you, sir? 